Welcome to This Osteopathic Life. This is Dr. Amelia Beakey. I am honored to share with you the philosophy that has underscored my personal and professional life and explore how osteopathy truly is for the health of all things. I see these principles in action every day in my varied roles as physician, parent, athlete, writer, musician, coach, and entrepreneur, and hope they will light the way for the path to your best health. Please note that while I am a physician, this podcast is intended to share general information and encourage discussion about medicine, health, and related subjects. The content provided in this podcast and in any linked materials is not intended and should not be construed as medical advice. Thank you for joining me for episode seven of season three of This Osteopathic Life. What a beautiful day. I'm recording this on the 20th of March, 2021. It's a Saturday. I'm here in Northwest Michigan and the sun is shining in the window. I've seen that this is the first day of spring. Sometimes I see that it's the 21st, but we are in that shift of seasons here in the Northern Hemisphere. Of course, welcoming autumn to all of my listeners, friends, colleagues, loved ones in the Southern Hemisphere. And it's been such a fascinating time for so many reasons. This week, I no sooner texted my workout buddies from across the country commenting on the snow they were experiencing in an unusual way and that our snow seemed to be finished. We just turned in our cross-country skis for my children for their lessons on the year. And I said, seemed like winter is all wrapped up here. (laughs) And no sooner was words sense and my head hit the pillow And the next thing I knew, I was waking up to an alert that there was no school for my children who had had the good fortune of being in person this year. And I thought, well, why? You know, we've made it so far and we haven't had any closures. And they said snow day. I thought, what? And I opened the curtains and looked outside. And on the table that sits just on the patio under my window, there were about six inches of fluffy snow. And I was surprised And I had all kinds of different thoughts. You know, for the weeks prior, I was lamenting the departure of snow, really having had enjoyed the cross-country ski season, seeing my children embrace downhill skiing, even with the injury my oldest son sustained. And I thought, oh, now it's just getting started. I was also grateful that I had taken this adventure, you know, the 17.17 mile adventure on skis on our path from the neighboring town that I had done that and what really was the final day of really great snow for that experience here. And I was really wishing for winter to stay, but I had made the point of saying, but I'll embrace whatever season arrives. And what had happened was I had made that shift. I had made that mental shift into spring. The paths were clear. My children had the experience of exploring rollerblading. I was looking at different ways to embrace that perhaps, right? Taking that 17.17 mile journey on rollerblades later on in the season. The yard was clearing up, you know, the sun was coming out more. I thought, okay, right, if this is where we are, here's where I am. And then, right, the test of the universe, the gift of the universe, the invitation of the universe to say, well, you said you were embracing the season, so what does this mean? And it really wasn't enough snow to break back out the skis and go, but it was lovely and white and fluffy, and it did allow for a snow day, which has its own merits, even in a time when every day of school feels like this precious opportunity that you wouldn't want to necessarily squander away. But I also remember, right, the joy of that moment of an unexpected day away from school and what you could do with that. And so it was. And so it was that this snow day appeared just as, you know, spring was technically, you know, on the calendar emerging. And 
through the rest of the week, I was grateful to still be in outdoor workouts. You know, we cleared the path enough that I could keep my ongoing backyard gym functional. Grateful too that the garage was available. There was one day when we had freezing rain and I very much needed cover, you know, for the safety of myself, for the safety of the equipment. And I did it al fresco. I did have the garage door open so I could see the outside and feel the fresh air as I was navigating the different movements of the workout. And then today, and even yesterday as well, so sunny. And there was this meme or even a video perhaps of, you know, 47 degrees. And in March, it feels like everything. Like you should be going to the beach. And it's amazing, right? Take off all the layers and get out your sunglasses versus 47 degrees in October. And what that feels like, you're thinking, oh, you know, get all the jackets, turn on the heaters. It's so cold. And it's all relative, right? It's all relative to that which we have been conditioned. It's relative to the moment. And it's certainly relative to our perception, the way which we choose to think about and feel about whatever it is that's happening, right? So yesterday, I really did. I thought, man, it must be 60 degrees out here. I'm doing this workout. It seems hot. I'm having to take off my sunglasses and clear the sweat away. And I checked afterward and it was 43. (laughs) And that was that moment, right, where it really does seem amazingly lovelier than it is, but in the sunshine, right, that warmth can be enhanced. And all that to say, here we are, and the day is before me. I have nothing scheduled. And that is pretty rare to not have any calls, any meetings, any particular tasks. Now, granted, I have many things I can be doing, we could say should be doing, that I have in front of me to complete for some upcoming projects and ongoing work and new ideas and exploration. Lots of excitement, lots of energy. Sometimes that can lend itself toward overwhelm. And I think about this fascinating experience of seeing the feelings on a grid, you know, from um, Mark Palmutter, if I'm going to say that name correctly, from Permission to Feel, and it ranks them also on their speed and noticing the unsustainable nature of certain feelings because of the way they burn, right? The fast fuel nature and fast twitch fibers. And interestingly, I've always been a slower twitch fiber athlete. You know, I can't necessarily get up the speed right quickly, but I can keep going at a relatively fast rate for a longer interval, although my recent running sessions have been a bit slower. In any case, excitement, such an interesting feeling. And it is in that high energy space and it does have, you could say, that tendency or that threat of burning out, right? So while it can be really great, right, it can fuel things and it can be a catalyst for significant change, it may not be the sustainable feeling. It may not be the fuel that works for you. It certainly isn't the one that necessarily works for me. And I see that. And so noticing when I feel excited, that can be great and recognizing that's going to help me catalyze this new idea, you know, put some formation behind this concept and then stepping into a different feeling that will actually carry this through is necessary. And that's something I have been working with more consciously, more conscientiously in recent weeks, months, over the course of the year, maybe a little bit beyond that. And as I'm navigating all of this, here I am today. And what I love is on my phone, on the calendar that I utilize in my phone, when there isn't anything, it says, nothing planned, tap to create. And I love it, right? And it means tap to create an appointment, right? But I see it as, and I hear it as, tap to create anything, right? And what does the tap even mean, right? Tap into yourself, 
I think about right now, this season, right, it's kind of tapping season to get maple syrup from the very generous trees in this part of the world. And I think, wow, like what would I create? Nothing's there. And I get to tap into it, tap into this brilliance, this reserve, this possibility to tap into the experience and knowledge and wonder of others. I love it. And it's so rare. I think I love it more because it is rare. And the perception of this is this gift of clarity, of space, of freedom to launch into. And all of this to come around to what I wanted to speak of in the podcast here today. And this was a concept. This was a question. This was an invitation that was presented to me by my beloved coach um, and We have amazing meetings every week, and it's been a year. I have to look at the exact time, but we've just come across our own anniversary, and I shared with you some of the challenges last week looking at anniversaries in some ways of loss, right? the closure of my gym, the closure of my clinic, the shift away again from our geographic location in Oregon to Michigan, but also, like anything, like we've seen, right, boundaries create freedom and closures create openings. We've had those moments there have also been some beautiful anniversaries, right? The anniversary of coach training for me, which really has felt like this welcoming back to myself, this invitation of verbiage for what it is I have been doing forever, right? Giving it name and form and giving clarity and details and reinforcement and learning to that. And also anniversaries of a wide variety of relationships. I've met so many amazing people in this time because, because of COVID. Beautiful people in the osteopathic community whom I wouldn't have otherwise encountered. In the coaching community, in the physician entrepreneurial space, seeing my patients in new ways as we've shifted the way in which we engage in relationships. And my own coach is key and core to that. And she also happens to be an osteopathic physician, which is really the reason I selected her, to be perfectly honest, in the beginning. I read her bio and I saw that and there were no other coaches who were DO, so we could say by default, but also we could say by this meant-to-be common thread. And as we found, that wasn't the only common thread. We have so many things in common and different ways of looking at things. And it's been a beautiful relationship for which I'm so grateful. And we meet weekly and we talk about different things and we look you know personally and professionally at growth and expansion and full human experience and it's fantastic and this past week she gave me homework and I'm going to be totally honest I love it I love the homework I love answering these questions I love the structure and form right the structure and function that's associated with it and this week the questions were all about influence and it's such an interesting word, concept, experience. It's so fascinating to think about it in the construct of osteopathic medicine because I think about influence and if I think about some of the context, some of the connotation around it, you might think about manipulation, right? Which is a word that I use in my profession and that does have some pretty powerful, pretty negative oftentimes connotations, right? Manipulative, right? We don't want to be that way, but to manipulate something can mean, right? Just to form it and to mold it, to turn it, to get a new view, And so as I thought about that, you know, that came up for me in a whole lot of different ways as I answer these questions. And as we talked about my responses, and I won't share all those with you, I don't think that this is the time or the place for that. I'm happy to, but I don't want to bog it down with my perceptions. I want to open it up for you to see, right, what is possible in that space. And she illustrated so beautifully that differentiation, that distinction between influence and manipulation 
where manipulation, and again, I could challenge that, is this the best word to use in our profession for what it is that we're doing, what the intention is behind it? And we could certainly dive into that. But manipulation, kind of in a closed setting, right? Having kind of an agenda for where something is going to go and taking it there, where influence can be opening, like an invitation, right? So here's a possibility, and here's a vantage point, and here's a lens, and here's a coloring for this. And then, right, the person gets to do with it what they will. And I like to think about the opportunity, osteopathic influence treatment. Maybe we do explore that as an option. And I'm working with the project actually with the alumni of the Osteopathic Health Policy Fellowship to look at osteopathic identity. Maybe I'll bring that forward. So thank you all for holding the space for that to emerge. But as we have in the past come through these words in the podcast, we look at definitions. And once again, right, I have yet not to have this experience where there's such a surprising one. But of course, it's there. It makes so much sense as soon as you read it. But it would never have been the way I would have thought about that word. And I was looking back over the end of last season into this season, and I see I words in there and love those patterns, right? Inspiration. And we had immersion last week. And so here we are with influence. And let's look at influence and the definitions that are here. So the power or capacity of causing an effect in indirect or intangible ways. Now this, I love. And again, here, maybe it's a limiting if you want to go with osteopathic influence treatment or influential treatment. And I tend toward the indirect treatment styles. And I've talked with you a little bit about this, but in general, right, there are two ways we approach treatment, right? And again, breaking this down into some basics, but it's okay. It's a good learning space. There are direct where we see where something is, right? And so let's say a segment is rotated to the right in your back, right? Everything is neutral. Everything is lined up. And then this one spinal segment, one vertebra is rotated off to the right. And so in a direct treatment, we would rotate it left in lots of different means. We could do some high velocity or thrust techniques where I would snap, crack, pop back into place. We could do muscle energy where we would set things up against that barrier and have you push against that and to get it to come back to where it needed to go. There are direct techniques in a gentler fashion, right? Direct balance ligamentous tension where we take everything against that. We can take it to its barrier. Again, think about that barrier and resistance that is involved. And those do have merits, but I was never fond of them particularly. I didn't like having them done to me, particularly the thrust techniques. And it just seemed forceful, right, in a way. And so I gravitated toward in my own treatment of patients, the indirect, although, right, when you're in a training program, you have to learn them all, right? You get a wide breadth of it and you gain understanding where it does have merits. And I do utilize them. And as I share with you, uh, my mentor, my colleague, one of my teachers, Dr. Huff, utilized a very direct technique called long lever, right? And you would use as you imagine, long levers, right? The leg to help rotate the whole body in that direction. So we take that segment that was rotated right and we invite it, right, to rotate back to the left, eventually landing in its neutral space. And so seeing this under influence, for me, there's an exhale, there was ease. The power or capacity, right? Those are big words and they're encompassing, there's energy in there, there's meaning, there's Right. Influence, of course, we're talking about the definition of causing an effect. Interesting there. So we are having this impact on something else. An indirect, right? And that I thought, ooh, right? That piqued my attention. Or intangible ways. And that's so fascinating to me from the treatment standpoint. Oftentimes, I would have a patient 
in the exam room. We would have a discussion, you know, taking the history, understanding what's happening for them. I'd be in treatment, you know, hands-on treatment. But in the indirect ways, that made sense to me and often seemed appropriate to me based on my clinical judgment for that patient for 20 minutes, let's say. And to me, I'm experiencing, I'm observing all of these shifts happening in their system and I'm noticing it in the dialogue and how we're in- engaging. And treatment would finish and they would say, so when will we have the treatment? <laughs> and I would say, you know, well, that was the treatment. And you may notice some change, you know, otherwise. And many times they would, right? They would notice that they would have a shift and this would happen. They would come back for follow when we would discuss the changes. Sometimes they would get really sore, right? It would almost feel like they were you know, their body was having a big reaction to the treatment. And then they would come out on the other side and feeling better. Sometimes they wouldn't notice much difference. And so my colleagues, when I would treat them this way, same thing, would say, I'm not sure what's happening, right? It seems subtle, but then I notice X, Y, Z shifts or changes afterward. And how I envisioned it, you know, was this engagement with the system. It was, I always talked about pushing a boat into the current, right? And you don't necessarily want to push it hard. And when you do, you are met with more resistance. But if you nudge it in, right, and it goes into the current and then it moves along with, you know, the flow of the river, that's what I was envisioning, was this invitation of the body to embrace itself, to remember its capacity for self-healing. And so that was the indirect and sometimes intangible, right? Not physically visible on the surface, but the response to it coming through that way. And so when I think about influence in a broader view, not just in that physician to patient treatment space, looking at where we do have the power or the capacity of causing an effect in indirect or intangible ways. And I think about that right now as we are called to action, and we always have been, it's become more and more prevalent and prominent and publicly seen, I would say, in this past year by those who haven't experienced these challenges directly. Right here's another place where indirect and direct come through. And so we have just come through this past week in Atlanta, right? The attack, the assault, the murder of eight individuals, the majority of whom are of Asian American descent and representation and identification. And it has been downplayed, right? That has been left out. The behavior of the assailant has been justified as a bad day and There's this call to action now publicly to stop Asian hate, absolutely, right? To stop Asian violence, absolutely. To stand with Asian American Pacific Islanders in this country and broadly, of course, absolutely. And to stop white supremacy, right? To get to the core of what is happening and put the onus back on the individuals, yes, but the culture at large as well to actually say something and do something. And here we're calling for direct action, not right the excited action of the immediate response and reactionary behavior, but long-term sustainable action. And I do see in here also the importance of that power capacity, even in indirect ways. So absolutely being very upfront, calling things out, standing with, you know, being an ally, remembering that being an ally isn't something you can claim, it is actions you can take, But those to whom you are the ally are really the ones who can declare that to give you that status. And seeking it for that reason is not right the path forward, but instead doing it because it's the right thing to do. And leveraging whatever capacity you do have in a space is really our responsibility. If we're going to engage in this way to be supportive 
of our fellow humans, but the indirect ways as well. And this is where we can look at implicit biases, noticing the subtle ways that we behave, the ways we speak. I am doing this work constantly, looking at how to be effectively anti-racist and recognizing how easy it is right, to slip into these ways of speaking and being, and that's not excusing any of it. But the other day, I used a phrase and immediately I recognized that that wasn't appropriate. And I also didn't correct it immediately in that space. And after I said, okay, I should address this and I need to, and I'll go back and do that. And when I convene with the same group of individuals, I will do so. And also did some research, right? Went back through and said, what else am I saying and speaking that is inappropriate? And how am I showing up? And is it just reactionary in the moment or is it consistent knowing that this is constant ongoing work? And we've talked about in the past, you know, building strength, you don't do one bicep curl and then remain strong forever, right? You do a workout and you recover and you do another workout and you recover and build strength each time through the heavy lifting. Remembering that when we are not directly impacted by this, our lifting is nowhere near as heavy as those who are directly impacted. And it is our task to take that up. So if I think about influence in the most important way that we must engage with it in this time is looking at that. We're absolutely yes, right? Being more forthright and outspoken and direct, absolutely. And I would pose that it is the influence in those indirect and sometimes intangible ways that carry so much weight because they can happen day to day it matters when we check ourselves. It matters when we see it happening in others in order to call it out. Or if we do hold that line, right, this is not acceptable. Maybe you didn't understand this, but here's you know what I've learned. Let me share with you from my space of my own vulnerability, impropriety, and discovering the ways in which I can interact more effectively with the world around me. And so that comes up for me in this space. Now, listening for where influence can get shifted, right? So the act or power of producing an effect without apparent exertion of force or direct exercise of command, right? And this one kind of sticks out to me as we're being unaware, right? And so we might actually have this capacity and we don't know. And this lends itself to that same discussion. Notice if you do have a platform, if you do have a following, if you do have a prestigious role, if you do have a leadership space, and we all do in some ways, right? We're all leaders in some ways. It might be in our family. It might be in our church community. If you belong to one, it might be in your workspace. It might be in the way you interact online. You have the capacity to take up a leadership role. And what about without apparent exertion of force in appearance to who, to the people that are seeing it or to you? And so can you tune in and be more aware of the influence that you are having? Now, listen to this one, right? And perhaps brace yourself, but also open yourself to the possibility here, corrupt interference with authority for personal gain. Now, there are parts in here, again, that we could look at and see how we can actually use, you know, manipulate to be effective in this space. And let's just take that middle section, interference with authority. That is called upon, right? Not just taking whatever is said, spoken, demanded, authorized, written as absolute is necessary, like questioning. Why is it that way? Why are we doing that? I see that in the medical system, in the hierarchy, in the training programs, and this call to say, this is the system we have. Okay, right? I'm willing to be compliant perhaps, but I want to know why. 
and I want to ensure that this is for the greatest good, the higher ground, the care of patients, the well-being of physicians and training at all stages. All right, so interference with authority can totally have its place. But notice the margins of this statement, corrupt interference, right? So looking at that for personal gain. And so noticing the opportunity we have to have influence in perhaps a positive, meaningful, health-oriented way when it is for the greater good, for the high ground, for clear purpose, and when it is not corrupt. But notice that it can be. And so listening for that as well, both for yourself or if you are observing it, right? How is this influence happening? Another definition offered is an emanation of spiritual or moral force. An emanation, right? And again, I'm just drawn to the space where so much can happen without this direct force, direct action. And to be clear, as I've stated, I'm all for direct action in many ways. Maybe not in the treatment space of that hands-on care. I mean, not before is direct action there, but I'm absolutely for direct action out in the world and being very clear, right? And very structured and oriented and you know, having the steps in place to move an idea forward so that it doesn't just remain a concept. But at the same time, seeing the power that there is in emanating, right? So being the change you wish to see in the world, we hear that, right? Being the community you wish to see in the world, being the health you wish to see in the world. I spoke yesterday in my Living Conceivable post about being the joy you wish to see in the world and that there is great power of influence in emanating what it is you stand for, what it is you hear called for from the community, what that allyship might look like, emanating it. And that means embodying it, right? It means being it so that it isn't always, you know, forced, hopefully, right? It's not performative and it is simply the extension of how you are. And when we are in that space, naturally, right? The influence, that ripple effect increases. And this one I had to look at and really appreciate. We talked about fluidity in immersion last week. And this one states, an ethereal fluid held to flow from the stars and to affect the actions of humans. And the second version of that is an emanation of occult power held to derive from stars. And what I hear in there is universal wisdom. And I love this concept of the ethereal fluid. And this I might need to, we're making paintings today in the house. We got some canvases out, although we should save it for a rainy day that's coming later this week. We will go outside for the majority of today. But ethereal fluid, just close your eyes if you can, if you're not driving or walking or bicycling, or just, you know, in your mind's eye, if you want to keep your eyes open and focused on the world in front of you, ethereal fluid held to flow from the stars and to affect the actions of humans. Now, what I want to clarify in here is this not saying whatever you do, or just blame it on the ethereal fluid, like take no responsibility for what's happening. No, but also think about knowing and trusting that universal connectedness, that fluidity, like connected in fluid, connected, we've talked about in the past in breath, in the common human thread through the universe. And think about what it can mean to flow from the stars and just thinking about the beauty, the brightness, the power, the sustainability. If we think about the opposite of excited in that space that embodies the same wonder that excitement can hold, but in that way, right, that lasts for thousands of years, right? Longer than we even have a frame of reference for perhaps. 
and then thinking about the vastness of it and then thinking about how it can concentrate. Right, so bringing that in ethereal fluid down into this human form in the smallness of us, right? in the energetic density of us and the brilliance of the grand design there as well. I was also talking to my coach about this, just staying in that space of wonder around all that has to happen right, to bring us into this mature human form. And sometimes that can feel like an oxymoron in days when we might be frustrated with our fellow humans, but it is there and it is present. And noticing that we couldn't, right? We couldn't design this. And to say that there is this greater universal wisdom and connection and, right, the knowledge of who and how we are and how we can bring those together in this space and how that is ultimate influence. And also knowing if we are then a representative, an ambassador, if you will, of that ethereal fluid from the stars into human form, how would you show up? How would you represent yourself and your fellow humanity? And how would that look? And knowing as well, if that ethereal fluid is pouring into all of us, how could you engage in a hateful way with the person next to you? For whatever reason you've created to justify this differentiation and this otherness that we bring into that space. And so what if we can actually embrace influence from that space of beauty and wonder and infinite capacity, knowing that we have this power within this capacity to effect change and then perhaps commit to? What does that change look like? What kind of change are we intending here? And what are the ways in which that is being effected in direct, intangible ways without apparent exertion, without force or direct command? And then noticing, right, staying in the space and making a promise to ourselves and to one another that we will look for when it's appropriate to interfere with authority and we will check ourselves in one another to see, is it for personal gain? And not to say that we shouldn't care for ourselves, but there's a difference between self-care and honoring the health and self-love and self-compassion and personal gain. And we can hear it in how this is written. And we can hear it in that descriptor of corrupt in that statement. And so let's see if we can honor each other and one another by saying, we're going to listen and look for that and stand against it, right? We're not going to allow influence to be utilized in this way. And then seeing right, that emanation of spiritual or moral force, knowing that just by being, we are having an influence, right? We are changing the energy in the world within us and around us. And that we are the bearers of this ethereal fluid from the stars into human form. And that is the universal connection. And that is where influence is happening constantly within us and all around us, between us, through us, to us, for us, from us. And we have the opportunity to wield that power responsibly, thoughtfully, lovingly, with compassion, with care, with wonder. And I hope that we all will. And I will continue to navigate these questions and the possibility. And I encourage you to think about your influence, how you are being influenced, how you are influencing others, 
what you think of when you consider influence, what it could mean, and how you might embrace the opportunity of influence, the imitation of it, this week. This is Dr. Amelia Vicky with This Osteopathic Life. Thank you for listening. And if you're so inclined, please do like, rate, and review the podcast and look for an upcoming newsletter from This Osteopathic Life. And if you haven't, you can subscribe on the website, thisosteopathiclife.com, so you can stay up to date with all the programming. Thank you so much, and I will see you next week.